0: removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: Greetings, humans. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 195. Say, person, are you going to San Diego Comic-Con this year? So are we. There's going to be a lot of fun Nerdist stuff going on down there. Uh, Probably most prominently, a Nerdist Podcast Live has just been announced at the Balboa Theater Friday, July 13th. Tickets are now on sale, uh, but they are going fast. So go to Nerdist.com slash calendar, and you can get tickets. Come see us. We're going to have special guests. I promise there will be fun special guests at the Bubble Theater. It's a big theater. (laughs) So get tickets now, please. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun, though. San Diego Comic-Con is – the the shows that we've done at Comic-Cons in the past have been – mind-blowingly amazing. Last year we had uh, the cast of Doctor Who. Well, actually we just we had Matt and Karen. Um, and who knows who will be there this year, but it'll be someone fun. So, uh, again, tickets for that. Nerdist.com slash calendar. I would like to thank Amazon for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. All you have to do to support uh, the Nerdist Podcast via purchases is go to this episode's page, <laughs> click on the Amazon banner, and then you just... Shop the way you normally would. That's it. That is literally all you have to do. It's, it's that simple. Or you could drive a truck of gold to us and then not click through would be another option. Uh, you know the truth is I probably wouldn't take the gold though. I'd feel bad. You should keep your gold. It's a precious metal for shit's sake. This episode of the podcast, our old buddy Pen Gillette, who has come back six months later. To come on and hang out. Uh, I love Penn. He is a great guy. Super fun to talk to. Amazing stories. Uh, He has some really great Dean Martin stories uh, in this episode of the podcast. So it was just a fun hang. So here we go. The Nerdist Podcast number 195. Penn Gillette.
0: Now entering Nerdist.com. (laughs)
2: <laughs> hey, you piece of shit. No, 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 not That's you, Chris. Says. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Although that was good right off the top <laughs> of your head. Thank you, yeah. It yeah, was yeah. like
1: wrinkles. I was really <laughs> reaching down. Hey, you there with the shirt. Call me a hockey <laughs> <talk>. <laughs> Hey, you with the shoes. Oh, I have shoes. Here. He's talking about me. Those shoes are dumb. Honey, isn't this great? <laughs> He's talking about we me. We paid $60 for this. Uh, Pengilllet is How back. How did you, think? Uh, you, you uh, tell me about? Uh, is the show started? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it yeah. just happened just like that. That was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's my <laughs> magic. It
2: was
3: very good. <laughs> He's seamless doing it. Very good. seamless transition. Just one moment I was talking, and then the next moment I was talking.
1: <laughs> the podcast that's
2: actually starts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to the podcast. There you go. That's hey, good. Sure. Nice. Uh,
1: you must. Uh, you must have seen some legendary shows in Vegas.
3: Really? Have you not? Do you you go Uh, see shows there? I went to see when I first came to Vegas. You know the big shift in Vegas. Everybody talks about you know mob to corporate, and (laughs) the best thing said to me about about Vegas, which I loved, was when I uh, first—I guess I was just visiting. I wasn't even working there. Like in the '80s, way back, I got in a cab, and the cab driver was explaining to me what Vegas is, (laughs) and he said, "You know, Vegas used to be really classy, and then Elvis came and brought all the hicks with him." (laughs)
1: <laughs> Brought all the hicks.
3: Brought all the hicks with them. So it went from the sort of bugsy seagull Well, you know, the rat pack. Let's do it, let's keep it all entertainment. Yeah. Right. It went from the rat pack to, you know, guys doing uh, uh George Burns impersonations.
2: You know? Right, right. And I'm sorry, right, Dana people... Gans, rest in peace.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I had a discussion with a uh with a uh, with a writer in Vegas. We we're having this big discussion and we we're arguing over the worst show in Vegas. Uh-huh. And uh, he was contending Danny Gans, and I I was contending another show, which I will not mention. Okay. And we were talking about, you know, how you weigh art, the criteria for art. And uh, what I weigh all art by is the balance, or actually the, 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 the cumulative of skill and crazy Mm -hmm. you want a hundred percent skill and a hundred percent crazy okay or say that any way you want you know you want skill and you want passion right but any, any way you want to break it down so you have a handful of people at any given time who um have tremendous skill and tremendous passion bob dylan miles davis picasso stravinsky Aren't a lot of them, right? Right. You can, you know, and I I said in our lifetime that I named mostly people who were dead. Right. Uh, But uh, (laughs) Bob Dylan is alive. And when you go see Bob Dylan... At the end of the show, what you want to do is write a play, you want to you put out an album, you want to write poetry, you want to do everything, because he's so good, he inspires you. He makes you think you're good, too. He makes you think life is good. And then there are the people that are really, really skilled, but lack passion. Right. And you go, well, that's okay. They're a little cynical. They do the same stuff all the time. But, boy, they practiced a lot. You know, and they're really good. You know, and I make the guitar gesture because I don't want to mention any Van Halen. Sure, uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, but you know, they're really really good, but they're not crazy. There's this Then you have the people that are just crazy, yeah, and have no skill at all. David Allen Coe Okay, Is he the country guy, David Allen Coe? I've heard of him. You yeah, know, crazier than a shit house rat. No skills. I'll go anywhere to see him. Okay. He's that good a performer. And then you have people that are varying degrees of that kind of stuff. Right. When you go to a show, you're trying to see passion and skill just fully blown out there. What you never see is a complete lack of skill and a complete lack of passion. Someone who's cynical and can't do anything. It's very, very rare. Because people that have no skill and still get on stage should have some passion yeah. for
0: performing well, that's the what,
3: That's what internet comment threads are for. People exactly, 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 exactly. <laughs> so there is an act in Vegas, that the, the name of which I will not say, but the description has already made it clear, that is someone who lacks all skill yes. and lacks all passion. Okay. Comes out sneering... And uh, 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 contemptuous of his audience mm-hmm. and of himself and can't do anything. Okay. And has a long run in Vegas. Then there's Danny Gans, who was also condescending, uh, contemptuous, and no skill.
2: Also only famous in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My dad, though, loved loved him. We went in the 90s. is you you're the bowling joke? Well, (laughs) (laughs) did he have a bowling joke? He he was my dad. It was something, how
3: do you pick up a hooker with three fingers?
1: Something uh, like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I think it was, you know, my my dad, my dad represents, I love him to death, but his sort of artistic appreciation sensibilities are mainstream America. Your dad is America. He is America. And so, you know, like in the 90s, he was like, I mean, like, my dad was the guy that, that said I would I should watch blue-collar comedy because I would love it because I'm from the South. He also wanted me to see Danny Gans. He was like, this guy, he sings, he dances,
3: he does impressions, he does it all. What, bo- what bothers me, well, the list of things that
2: bothered me about Danny Gans, and I, what I think is... I it's, always hated. it. I just want to go on the record is I genuinely disliked him. I don't know why. Very, I don't know. Person, never met him personally. It's
3: very good to speak ill of the dead because they won't mess with you. Yeah, they're not going <laughs> to fuck with me. <laughs> We're safe. Um... He would do now when you see Gilbert Gottfried, who's mm-hmm. who is the best of us, you know, he's 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 the he's the funniest man alive and uh, absolute genius. Mm-hmm. When you see Gilbert, he does an impression. There's something he brings to the impression, besides doing them dead on and perfectly accurate. Right. He'll give you Groucho and the year of Groucho. Yes, you know? he does. He, he will do 56, 57, 58 <laughs> oh, Groucho, my 72 Groucho. Yeah, he'll do all of them. Do he, he does them all perfectly. He always brings something conceptual to the impersonation. It's not just, I broke down in Hollywood, and who comes to help me? (laughs) Oh, it's Jack Nicholson. Right. Hey, here's (laughs) Johnny. Right. Not one of those things. He actually brings something. He does brilliant stuff like, you know, Bob Dylan and Floyd the Barber. From maybe RFD, all right, doing who's on first. Okay, there you get a lot. That's you know? a concept, uh, and you've got he, he will do. You know, he will do uh, George and Ringo doing who's on first. He'll do Jerry Lewis with you know. Always bring something to it. Danny Gans would do pieces of the person's act that he was doing an impersonation mm. of. So it was actually part of George Burns' act that he would just do. It was almost <laughs> like it was a mashup, but with less artistic. So we're arguing. And he's saying that Danny Gans, we're talking about this art thing. Sure. That what you're going for, for perfect art, is 100% passion, crazy, bravery, and 100% skill. Mm -hmm. And then we were saying, for the other side of that, for the worst act possible, you want cynicism, contempt, coupled with not able to do anything. (laughs) And he brought up uh, Danny Gans. And I said, yes, yes, yes. Danny Gans was awful. And um homophobic and, and sexist and um unpleasant racial stuff mm-hmm. and had no skill.
2: <laughs> but
3: my guy is worse. Right. <laughs> and we spent uh we were at uh what's the place? Capriotis where they have the big yeah. pastrami sandwiches. Okay. And through a whole big pastrami sandwich, um, we argued about this. And then he called me at nine the next morning and said, You win your act is the worst in Vegas, and I said, <laughs> "What happened?" He said, Danny Gees died last night." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Last night?" He said, "Yes." So now you win hands down. We have no arguments. We're now the best of friends, and this is what's so great about this. There's a great punchline to this. At the time, he was um, in a relationship, having sex with a, uh, a woman who acts in uh, pornographic films. Mm-hmm. That was their. Re- he was a writer in uh, Vegas, and he was he was with this woman, and. um their breakup was happening <laughs> because he was he was and is an atheist, okay? Mm. And she was spiritual, okay? so there's you can chart, you can chart, you can actually draw this out on a graph. You can start when you are sleeping with a pornographic actress and you are having sex with her. How long before spirituality, is a topic of discussion. <laughs> you can just you can draw that graph, right? Cuz you've done there are 10 sex acts that if you're a writer in Vegas, you've never done. Sure. That sh- she does on a daily basis. Right. So you do one of those, you figure he's 30 years old, maybe twice a day, okay? Right. You know, under 30, you have sex as often as you eat, that mm-hmm. it tapers off from there. Sure. So you got 10 sex acts he wants to do, you know. Um you know, you want to go down there. You know, the one that doesn't mean automatic teller machine. Mm-hmm. You want to do all of those. <laughs> you just want to go boom. you, want Did you just boom? make an ass-to-mouth reference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, whenever, whenever anybody says to me, ATM, ATM machine. Yeah. No, they say ATM machine. Machine. I say, well, you must mean ass-to-mouth machine. Because ATM, automatic teller, has the word machine, machine Just like it. when people say pin number. Yeah, and you're certainly not stupid enough to say machine machine. Right. So there must be a machine somewhere that does ask to mouth. I made and that
1: that's <laughs> I made that joke on I think I made that joke on Twitter when I went to the uh, the adult entertainment expo once. It was going on at the same time as CES and I was like, I think the ATM machine here means something different. And no, exactly. and no one no one got what I was talking well, about.
3: Well, I'm glad so you explained it. I, so yes, it helped. Yes. So, you got twice a day. So after 5 days, you then the window is open. To talk with her about spirituality, sure, but I think you can do those 10 things again, right? So it's really 10, 15, maybe a month you go before you go, Okay, we've done all of that now. What do you think about God? I mean, when you, yeah, exactly. When you, you know, like right, you finish your act, uh,
1: you're you're telling off uh, some some light poop off of your genitals, <laughs> and you're like, Well, so let's talk about Santorum. Let's you're cleaning up the Santorum, isn't that the euphemism now? Then you can say. So what do you think about God? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that, exactly. That's the time uh, when that comes so, up. So
3: uh, he had gotten to that point with her, and they were having real serious arguments, really horrible arguments about this. And he was using, and just this is just a, a warning to listeners, um, don't ever use me as an example in any argument with someone you love. <laughs> Don't say the words Penn or Gillette or a big fat guy from Penn and Teller. Don't use anything that could mean me any reference when you're point. talking to someone that you love or trying to love. Just a little piece of advice. Because once you bring up, well, you know, Penn says it's over for you. Right. You've lost the argument right away. But he's brought up, you know, Penn says this, this, and this about skepticism. And they're arguing not only God, but also Skeptic stuff. I mean, sure. she believes in ESP and all the other things you have to believe in to do milk enemas, sure. right? She has, you know, she has that whole that whole list of things that she that she believes in. And uh, I sensed you were going to spray milk into <laughs> me. Yeah. And uh, she then, as her final, you know, QED slam, whatever the children say for the win. She comes in with, see, you and Penn knew Danny Gans was going to die. Oh, my. That's why you had that discussion. That's why Penn said that if one of them goes away, we'll agree completely, because you knew it. And that was her argument, not grasping at straw's argument, but that was the argument of, so, see. You know, that was her, you know, that was her Pascal's wager.
1: You know <laughs> I, I, I would like to see it more that you're psychokinetic and when you finish a pastrami sandwich while you're talking about someone, that person dies.
2: Or oh, when, when I a put
3: out enough, when I could put out enough hate towards someone, they <laughs> just die. But if that's true, there's a lot of people living we have to explain. There's a lot of pastrami. So in the eighties, uh people went to Vegas ironically. Yes. Everybody went ironically. You would go there. If you didn't smoke cigars, you'd smoke cigars. You know, if you didn't have brandy, you'd drink brandy. You did all the stuff you didn't do. You wore a skinny tie. You know, you walked around, and you went to shows that were not good, and you experienced the show ironically, which is fun. Yeah. And then you left. And that's why we came in in the early 90s and Blue Man Group and stuff and had to train people that maybe you can actually see a show that you don't have to watch ironically, that you can actually enjoy. So I went. It's in like the, the internet. What's that? It's exactly like the internet. People like watch a lot of stuff.
1: Ironically, and you train people to actually see good things in Vegas. Yeah, you but have so it's possible. To, you have
3: to do that. You have to do that. So I went. It was in the 80s, and I was. I guess I was on Broadway, and I went out to Vegas with some. You know, goofball friends of mine had a couple days off. Went to Vegas. We wanted to go to the Grand Canyon and do that kind of stuff. You know, and I'm uh, fully—I mean, even though it's the '80s, I'm fully Ramones. You know, I've got a—I got a black leather jacket, and I got a T-shirt, and I got sunglasses. And we decide to see as a gag. Ironically, we're going to go and laugh at Dean Martin. Okay. (laughs) So, like 1989, '88. You know, me and a couple of my douchebag friends. Are gonna go see Dean Martin, and we got you know because at that point I'm on Broadway, so you know we uh, we have a we have a VIP booth, right? Okay, and I'm there with you know whatever it was, William Morris, ICM or something, mm. and they got everything picked up, and you know I tipped the matre d a hundred bucks, and I'm a star and shit. And uh, we sit in the in the hat. And our plan is not to do anything rude. I, mean, I want to make that very clear. Never to heckle, never to scoff, yeah. never to do anything. But in my heart, you know, which which we know because we talked about it beforehand. No one in the audience knows. We keep that secret. But we are intending to witness Dean Martin ironically. Sure. We intend to kind of go, <laughs> yeah, rat pack, right? Now it's in the 80s. <laughs> this would be great. And Dean Martin came out. And kicked my ass harder than it's ever been kicked. Really? It was a perfect show. And it was such a, it was exactly the Ramones. I use the Ramones example because when you go see the Ramones, and you probably are too young, you didn't see the Ramones.
1: I did not see the Ramones, no. no.
3: But for those of us who are elderly, you know, we saw the Ramones in the, well, I saw the Ramones in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Um I saw them many, many times. And you'd take someone to see the Ramones, especially in the early days, you know, when I was, you know, their age, you know, I, I guess I would still be, So they stopped counting after they're dead. <laughs> it right. doesn't matter. We're, we're around the same age sure. as the Ramones. And you'd go to like CBGB in 76 to see the Ramones. And you'd bring someone with you, right? Someone that like knew a little bit about music. And four songs in, the person would either say out loud or say to himself or herself, <laughs> They're not really going to do another song at that tempo in G, without a guitar solo, <laughs> with the same lyrics we don't cu- quite understand. And you'd kind of go, "Yeah, they are." <laughs> and then they would do four more of those, and it would hit like thirty-five minutes of "What do they learn? and the same chords, and just "What do they want?" and. At ten minutes, fifteen minutes, it was completely and utterly indecipherable as art. It was an insane experience. What am I doing here? You know, it's not the angst of the Sex Pistols. There's not this kind of poetry. It's not you know the genius of the Clash, the wittiness of Elvis Costello. These are stupid guys <laughs> doing stupid things, right? And uh, which, which incidentally, Jersey Boys is such a huge success. I've often thought if you wanted to do a musical about people stupider than the Four Seasons, (laughs) you
2: have to go to
3: the Ramones. That's the only way you can dumb it down more. So you say, they weren't actually stupid, but the show was stupid, right? Then at about 35 minutes, everybody understood it. And then you were like, of course, they're going to do another song at that tempo in G. Of course, it's going to be indecipherable. And this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was, there was a purity to it, that one, you know, if you're a half-assed artist, then what you want to do is do a lot of variation. Ah! You know, let's do a slow number. Let's do an acoustic number. Let's change guitars 20 times, you know. Let's be edge. And every single guitar solo we will have a different guitar. Okay. will be plugged into a different... No, no. The Ramones just, what are they about? Over and over again. And Dean Martin was precisely that. You would say to yourself, he's not really going to be that relaxed, that comfortable, and do half a song and then just trail off for no reason. He can't really seem like a pleasant uncle with us in his living room and just (laughs) loving him for this long. He's got to change it up and and it was exactly the Ramones. Because in 15 minutes you just go he's not going to go everybody screw it. He's not going to do that (laughs) again. He can't do that again. And he does it 15 more times. And I want to tell you um, And we were just destroyed and I'm looking over at these guys with me who are there to be there ironically and I see them just, and if you've ever done that, if you've ever gone to a show in order to ridicule someone in your heart and then they do the best show you've ever seen, it's a very, very special experience. It's not something you get. It's not like, you know, someone you thought was an idiot and then you end up really liking them over lunch. It's much more powerful than that. Because it widens your scope. It widens your understanding. You're a different person. Yes. You become a different person, you know, and you just kind of go, oh, so Tony Orlando and Dawn can be good. Okay, that's a bad example. But you know, you know what I'm saying. It, <laughs> just, it just blows up. Times. And I'm going to do some timing that, um, that Dean Martin did. Okay. And this is, as far as I remember without exaggeration, This is the actual timing Dean Martin did, the actual timing. Now, at the time, Shirley MacLaine was talking a lot about spiritualism and stuff like that. And, of course, Dean Martin had been in some movies with Shirley MacLaine, you know, Warren Beatty's brother, part of the whole Hollywood thing. Now, this is the timing that Dean Martin does on what, in his show, passes for a joke. You could never get away with it, no one else in the world can, but he brought down the house with this. He went, I know... uh, I know Shirley McLean. I know her. Uh, I know her. I know her personally. She's a Jesus. Uh, a nut. <laughs> okay. And that timing. This incredible. You're in a Vegas lounge. With 1,100 people <laughs> that all have glasses yeah. and it's dead quiet, and deeds doing nothing except searching for the word "nut. <laughs> and then he stops halfway through the show and goes, "You know, uh, you can't you can't possibly see this. But from where I'm standing, a spotlight looks just like a train. Coming at me from the sky. Like it's going to run me over. You you can't see that, can you? But it looks just like a train coming at me from the sky. Did he know what he was doing? Yes, yes! Yes, (laughs) and on top of that, and this is important to know about the world, I believe Dean Martin was a sociopath. I believe Dean Martin had um, uh, no empathy for other people whatsoever. He did not feel empathy. That doesn't mean he wasn't a good person. It doesn't mean he couldn't even love, but just not empathy. You know the test they do for a sociopath, where yeah. you just you'll bang your hand, and everybody who's not will go, Ooh, you know. But a, but, a, but a sociopath may get you medical attention. They may help you. They may show you sympathy. But that moment that your hand gets hit with a hammer, they don't cringe.
1: Okay? Oh wow, because they have no em- They can't. They can't be. They not They don't. They
3: don't, they're just they're not instant thing. Someone gets hit by a truck, they'll run and get help, but they won't go, whoa. They don't do that. You know, they just go, okay, I'll get help. That'd be amazing if Dean Martin was a serial killer. A la no, no, but you don't, see, if you, what I contend, if you have a doctor or a lawyer, try to find a sociopath. You do not want someone who feels empathy for you while they're taking out your liver. This is true. You want someone who's following the actual rule. You're endoscopic, we're going to do this. They don't go, ugh, ugh, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. You don't want anybody doing this. gross, you guys. <laughs> it's really gross. So, so, <laughs> well, it's fascinating to me that a performer could not have empathy. Oh, well, that's the great thing. Because the other thing is, if you think, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have you do this out loud because okay. it might be embarrassing. But I want you to think about the sexiest person. You ever encountered. We're not, not, don't say something like, someone you had sex with that was wonderful. But the person that you looked at them and talked to them a little bit and just completely melted. Sure. That is a sociopath. Because we have such eagerness to please them. The fact that they don't have that there's a kind of sexiness that just demands from you. That you show me that you're worthy of me looking at you. Is that that what people refer to as, like, magnetism? I believe it is. I believe it is. I believe that that is, you know, and you wouldn't want to say this publicly or on a podcast or anything. Sure. But I believe that what we find attractive, magnetism and so on, is simply sociopathology. There's nothing else. Because Dean Martin, I mean, and I mean this, the Sex Pistols, okay? Um, come out on stage and they spit on you and they don't care, and they throw beer at you, and it's just completely transparent. All they want is your love, right? You know, that's all they want. and you, no one believes them for a second. Not one of their fans believes that they really hate their audience, right? They adore their audience because why would they fucking be there if they really hated them? Well, that's the answer with Dean Martin. You, he doesn't need you at all. And it's an amazing feeling to sit in an audience with someone on stage who is in no way needy. Right. (laughs) You know, in no way desperate. And Bob Dylan is needy. You know, the greatest performers you can think of are needy. Dean Martin was not. And there was a moment during his show when someone said something fairly loud. I don't think you'd call it a heckle. But they were talking at a table while he was talking fairly loudly. And Dean looks over at him, And they stop instantly. And Dean's reaction to this heckle, you know, was not, hey, I don't go down to the bus station, knock the dick out of your mouth when you're sure. working. You know, none of that, you know, ooh, when second cousin's marry," none of that stuff. You know, he just, or uh, I remember my first beer, none of that. Right. He just looks over at him for a moment and they shut up. And when as soon as they shut up, he goes, no, 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 you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to be quiet. You know, um, Sinatra, Frank Sinatra. You gotta be quiet when he's working. You gotta pay attention. But you know, you can bowl during my act. (laughs) <laughs> I, I know I, the bowling was not put for you. That's what he says. I maybe he put it for me. He did, did he ask about me? No, I did. want him to like <laughs> me so bad. <laughs> it's exactly that. So your question that you started here just moments ago. Yes, moments was what great shows have you seen in Vegas? And, Dean and Martin. the answer was Dean Martin. I love I think that it's idea. One of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my I life. I love I've that
1: idea. And and you're absolutely right. Like there are certain performers where you go, oh, they just have a thing. And now that you've put that into words. In my head, I'm piecing together, oh yeah, none of those performers made it seem like they needed me to like them. (laughs) That's so fucking crazy. Where I feel like when I'm on stage, I'm just constantly like, Hey, please like me, love me, please love like me. me, love me, love I'm me. up yeah. here because I need you to like me. Yeah. <laughs> so why even? Why even? Prof- was it just because it was his profession and he didn't know what else to do?
3: I think there's. I think there's a, a one-word answer. Hmm. Pussy. Pussy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's the only answer possible for Dean Martin. You know, uh, it, there's a book. Uh, Nick Toshas wrote a book called Dino. Uh, that's Dean Martin's life story. Yeah. And uh, it is full of amazing, amazing uh, piece of information. When Jerry, you know, and people don't know this, and they shouldn't, I guess, but it still bothers me. Uh, The most successful entertainment act by any metric you want to use in the United States of America's history was Martin and Lewis. No comparison with Sinatra, no comparison with the Beatles, no comparison with Elvis. Wow. Uh, For 18 months... In the mid 50s, they would stop all traffic in Times Square if they walked out of their hotel room. They were huge, huge superstars. And you can't even understand the level that they were stars. For long term, for percentage of the country, it's Bing Crosby, you know, for um, uh, iconography. You know, it's Elvis, uh-huh. you know. And, of course, for record sales, it's Justin Bieber. I mean, right. just it, 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 that just ends up with population. But really, for a certain way, you want to measure it, which is, you know, um, stopping traffic, changing the world, every single radio show, every single newspaper article mentioning them, it's Martin and Lewis right there in that sweet spot. And then they broke up. And um, <clears throat> Jerry Lewis called Dean Martin after they broke up and said... Uh, there was going to be this little moment of closure afterwards. And Jerry Lewis said, You know, Dean, a lot of guys can sing like you. They can be funny. A lot of guys can do all the stuff we do. But there was something about the two of us together that really uh, grabbed America. And I think, you know, thinking about it, Dean, I think that that something was, was love. I think people just felt, this love between us, they just felt this love, and Dean said, "You can call it love if you want. I just saw a big fucking dollar sign. Goodbye." <gasps> oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that's it. You know that is insane. Yeah, and what what you had with Martin and Lewis, and if you watch any of the stuff with them, you have this combination of someone who cares so desperately as Arthur Penn, who directed. Um, Martin and Lewis, and was a friend of mine, one of the greatest American directors of all time. Uh, I don't know why I said American in there. It was like to try to pretend that I knew something about <laughs> it. Yeah. that wasn't American. What if you had said, I'd be like, it's that
1: guy from Russia?
3: No, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm an American. Okay. Uh, Arthur Penn, one of the greatest directors of all time, who worked with Martin Lewis, said, you know, when you were in a room, Jerry Lewis used up all the air in the room. <laughs> Right. You couldn't breathe when you were in a room with him because just, he just—he sucked up everything. So, so, I mean, no one has ever wanted approval more than Jerry Lewis, and no one has ever wanted it less than Dean Martin. And you put these two guys on stage, and the, uh, the, the psyche of watching them, you, you just blow up. You don't know what to do. They're polarized. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's this beautiful thing. So, yeah, going to see Dean Martin, um, ironically, in Vegas, huge mistake for me. Because I should have gone in. I mean, on my knees, crawling and bowing. It still is. And I've seen a lot of shows. I've seen a lot of really good people. You know, I have seen Sinatra. I have seen the Sex Pistols. You know, uh, I have seen the Clash. I've seen you know, I've I've seen the Beatles. But you know, I've seen Dylan a lot. Uh, I've seen I've seen some good acts, and Dean Martin is probably the top. And it was probably just
1: him on stage with a microphone.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in a, in a band. Yeah. Maybe he, and, uh, maybe
1: he and Martin were like the two halves of the Dark Crystal, and someone just needed to reunite the Shard <laughs> with the Crystal so they would morph into that one, because it sounds like they were just compl- it was, it's, it's perfectly amazing. balanced opposites. And you know,
3: when you're on stage, and I'm sure you felt this, there are moments when you're on stage that you've got a bit that, that's actually good, mm-hmm. and you've worked on it a little bit, and it does kind of work and you do kind of have confidence and you start going into that and for a split second, the only thing going through your head is something other than love me, love me, love me, love me. Yeah. And you feel that moment and you go, wow, you know, they don't really need me to beg them to love me. They really just need me to be good. <laughs> well, it... it that doesn't cross your mind until very late in show business. Did that change
1: the way... Because you were on Broadway and then you went back to do your show. Did it? Did it... Do you feel like that changed you on as a performer at all?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I also uh, – it, it gives you a chance to um, – uh, you can for a moment uh, tune out the audience and just try to do really good stuff. Uh, it's the hardest thing in the world to do because if you look at – stand-up acts, it's a little laugh every 20 seconds, big laugh every minute and a half. Mm -hmm. And unless you're hitting that rhythm, you know, which is the rhythm kind of created out of vaudeville and burlesque, uh, things feel really, really wrong. And you you start panicking. And yet, when you listen to uh, the people you care about the most, Lenny Bruce, you know, George Carlin, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, all those people... Don't follow that rule, Louis. Don't, Louis doesn't follow. No, that not role. at all. Oh no, no, Louis. Louis. Louis probably, uh, and I, you know, Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, my biggest heroes in the world. If I had more distance and wasn't the age I am, Louis C.K. is probably better. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, certainly, you know, and I, I, I bet he would say because of building on their shoulders, but maybe even not even counting that, he, his stuff is so intellectually interesting. And his stuff is so completely committed and completely beautiful. I don't think you're going to find better than Louis C.K. That's that's a perfect example of that. That he just doesn't feel like, you know, he hasn't gotten a laugh in a minute, and that's okay. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great, it's a great. Because
1: you're still interested in hearing what he's saying, and you still like the, yeah, he even before he kind of hit this stride, he always had an insane way of. Of kind of spinning your perspective on a topic and making you go,
3: oh, fuck, I ne- wow, how did you get that out of that? Yeah, he's, he's, he's just so wicked good. And really, his thing about technology that he did on was a Letterman. A
1: Conan, I think. Conan, yeah. Where it's like, we didn't have this tech, like about, about on the planes the and the, the Wi Fi. Yeah.
3: Is, uh, is what, I mean, it, it is the argument that every pro science person has tried to make in you know, hour long lectures. And he does it in uh, what three minutes a couch, and it's it's perfect. It's just uh, it's just it's just a perfect intellectual argument that's also really funny. Why is it then that com- where comedy, we're really like
1: really really good comedy, uh, uh, you know, it it it, it actually is uh, compelling. It ta- it ta- it sort of talks about the the, the zeitgeist of it, it makes good points, and yet I feel like. People don't really take it serious. I mean, like, not. It sounds weird to say they don't take comedy seriously, but I think I think good comedy is harder to do than good drama.
3: Yeah, well, you know, it's it's because you know. Well, well, that's that's been known for a long time. You know, it's you know, uh, there's all sorts of probably apocryphal. You know, famous actor on his or her deathbed saying, uh, you know, it must be hard dying. You know, dying is easy, comedy is hard. Sure. So there's all... Uh, it's probably actually a real person, but every time I hear that quote, it's for the different like, actors. oh, it was Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> oh, <it laughs> uh... Although, you know, uh, I believe, and I haven't been able to find out this is false, but the best way to find out when you're wrong about something is to say it publicly. <laughs> and you... Uh, and, <laughs>
0: and,
3: uh... <laughs> Do you mean, is there some
1: sort of a delivery system where people would let you know... To your face, that <laughs> well, what you're
3: saying is not true. No, but it's really it, it's really true in uh, in uh, religious discussions mm-hmm. that I believe that the people that say we won't talk about religion, we won't talk about this. I have my feelings. You have yours. We'll be respectful. What they're really saying is, don't bust me, I won't bust you. Right. And if you really care about the truth, which I believe that many fundamentalist Christians, evangelical Christians, who are the people I want to talk to, uh, they really believe the truth. Mm-hmm. They will say it, and they will talk to you, and they will be eager to learn. And that's why you get, you know, People from evangelical backgrounds, when they go atheist, they go atheist really intellectually, not emotionally. They don't slide into it; they really make a decision. And I believe that the the what we what we call tolerance is actually just a fear of being proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you state what you believe over and over again loudly, you will get busted every single time. And right now, you know, when this thing uh, when people listen to this thing. Um, I will get tweets. That correct every point of view. Dean Martin did not do the uh, the spotlight joke in 1987. He only did that in 91. It was the third time you saw him, not the first time. Pen asshole. Boom. Weird that that person would know all those things, except in 140 characters. Sure, so they'll be able to do that. Um,
1: hashtag boom.
3: Yeah. Hashtag. <laughs> hashtag. Pen is wrong. <laughs> is that a hashtag? I bet it is. It is. Oh sure. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean I made this stupid. Stupid mistake. I was on, you know, pimping um, uh, The Celebrity Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I wanted a missionary for my sins. They gave me one. Um, <laughs> and I was on with Adam Carolla, and I told this completely false story about there not being a Nobel Prize in math. It was one that I'd heard, you know, over 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 supper, you know, from a friend, and I had never checked it. I hadn't gone to Snopes. I didn't expect to bring it up, yeah. but it came up talking to Adam Carolla. And I uh, I told this story, which is a great great story, not true, often true of great stories, sure. not true. Um, and then immediately, you know, I get up from the interview and I have you know forty tweets saying That's, that that story is bullshit. Uh-huh. And I type in immediately, I was wrong. That story is bullshit. And still they re-show that, and I get another forty <laughs> things going. That's the wrong. So I believe Oscar Wilde. And just get ready. <laughs> they already got now. Right now, as people are listening, they have their finger and this and, and you know this podcast is called Nerdist, yes, and sir. there's 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 a pejorative built into the word nerd, which I guess is turned around has. almost completely. Yeah. But when I say about these people that are listening and have their fingers on the keyboard, it is not in any way. It's it's just respect and also humbled that people care enough to do that. But they're already they've already got Oscar Wilde into the Google thing there. They've already got that. That wasn't either those curtains go or I do? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, do you think that's true? I don't know, You're but gonna I find
1: I, out. I like believing it's true because you know, it's uh it, it, it I I like the idea and I think it's one of the reasons why I love Doctor Who so much oh, yeah. is is creating mythology with with real-life reference points. Mm-hmm. I love, I love that. I love that. I like. I will totally see Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. You know, like I just, I love the creation of mythology that are based in real people, even if all the facts. So, like with the Oscar Wilde thing, I don't know if he said it, but I love the idea but, of it. So, what much. I love
3: is that the hashtag just changed to Chris is wrong. <laughs> oh,
1: there's plenty of that. There is plenty of I that. I love that. You know what I love your I love I love your point about uh, do you do you feel. Um, because you're so outspoken about things, and because you you very freely share, you you say what you believe. I try. You absolutely say what you believe, and when you're wrong, you say I'm wrong. When you think you're right, you say I'm right. Do you? How are you sort of emotionally shielded from people? You know, running up to you so much and be like, "You're a fucking piece
3: of shit. G- I don't know what you're fucking talking about. You goddamn idiot." Like, how do you? Uh, you know, that's something I was just uh, I was just talking you know, that you talk about all the time. You know, there's this. Um, there's a sense of thick skinned. You know, people will tell you Howard Stern has a has has a thick skin. You know, um, uh, Sam Kennison, you know, nothing bothered him. You could say anything to him you wanted. And people say, you know, you have a thick skin. People can run up and say you're fucking wrong. I believe that is absolutely not true. Um, there's a, you know, a, kind of a, a parable about, uh, parable's not the right word, but there's a story about bravery uh, where a, a young, a young uh, uh, soldier is talking to an older soldier, and the older soldier is, is trembling. And the younger soldier says, You're trembling. I thought you were brave. And the older soldier says, If you understood the situation the way I do, you wouldn't be here. That's bravery. Oh, wow. Uh, bravery is not the absence of fear, bravery is action in the presence of fear. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge difference. And I believe that everything people say about every insult comic, uh, Lisa Lampanelli, I'll mm-hmm. you know, use an example, everything they say that's hurtful to her hurts her exactly as much as whoever you want to see is the most tender, you know, 14-year-old mall girl right. in the Midwest. The amount of pain is exactly the same. It's just working through it. And I feel like it's unfair. You know, I'll, I'll do a an appearance on something. You know, and I have um, uh, a lot of followers on Twitter, and I do this nutty thing where I try. You know, when... The Celebrity Apprentices hits, and you know, when my podcast Sunday School first hit, um, I I get 800 tweets, and I I try to answer them all, but I can't. But on a regular day-to-day basis, I try to answer every tweet that requires an answer personally, and I will find that I do 25 thank yous in a row. You know, thank you, thank you, and some stuff remarkable, like people that you know really reacted to the atheism in my book, and really beautiful stuff, and talking about you know death of a loved one, which I talk about a lot, and uh, and so on. I, and I write thanks, and then one person writes one thing, like you know, um, I'll give you an example. Um, your answers, your, you, I just did this thing called five minutes with Obama. What would you say to Obama if you had five minutes with him? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, all I hit on that was. Peace. Stop killing people. That's all I care about, really. Stop killing people. And somebody wrote, your answer seemed insincere. (laughs) Oh, that must really, that is the core of your
1: being. Because you, from what I know about you, you always try to
3: be sincere and honest. Of course I fail.
1: And I'm always failing. That's way worse than saying you're a fucking idiot, because that, (laughs) that gets at the very core of who you are.
3: I get something that says, my mother died. Reading your book helped me through it. Thank you so much. And I write back, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Mm -hmm. means a lot. Guy writes one sentence on, you you seemed insincere on this. My glasses come off. I put my (laughs) hand... up my face. <laughs> I go back and I say, "What did I say?" I read it over again and I go, "Well, yeah. There's a turn of phrase in there that maybe I tried to put wit ahead of what I was actually feeling, but that's what I'm really feeling and they gave me, you know, all the stuff he doesn't know. Like when they give you the thing you have to answer the questions on, this is the number of sentences you can use. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these kind of rules, what paper is going to be for, and all of that. And I just feel, while I'm doing it and feeling bad, I also feel tremendously guilty because it is pissing in the face of everyone that said something kind. You know, a, a person writes about his mother's fucking death and has me in there as helping them through it. You know, what could be more vulnerable? What could be more offering up in, in cyberspace to Twitter? How can you offer up that kind of pure, raw emotion to a stranger in Twitter? And it takes me the amount of time to process that. Thanks means a lot. You were a little bit insecure. Oh, okay. There's a Freudian slip. <laughs> Whoa! Okay. Well we just explained I mean, that whole thing. Well, there
1: we go. There we go. I think we've uh, I think we've peeled back the flesh no, to Had get it, no the, the juicy organs inside. But I, I do think that uh, I, 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 it, you don't it's, you're not taking into the emotional equation what that guy's frame of mind was.
3: Exactly. Exactly, you know, he just got beaten up by his uh, his girlfriend. Right? You know? I don't know what happened. <laughs> no, well, you know, I, sure. that's the thing I always like to point out. You know, spousal abuse is about fifty fifty. Yeah, yeah, you know,
1: and so uh, the one side of it doesn't go as reported because. God, well, you know. I
3: don't know, you know, but 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 if you go to you know your emergency rooms and stuff, it's you know, and I have a uh, one of my one of my dearest friends was stabbed in the back by his wife. Oh my! With a knife. In the back. Stabbed in the back. Was it time? Now Arnold? the number of people that I've met personally been stabbed in the back is one. <laughs> and I know eight people who've been shot. Okay? <laughs> I know one guy's been stabbed in the back, and it was by a spouse oh my who God. took a knife and buried it into his back. And he was too embarrassed to go to the emergency room. So he has this big, gnarly scar. He's 76 years old and has this big, gnarly scar where it looks like someone stabbed him in the back with a kitchen knife.
1: I love the second after that happened where I was like, <laughs> blah. And then he's like, oh, I can't go to the hospital for this.
3: Oh, what did you do that? for? It's, like just, it's so inconvenient. I, I, had a, I had a friend, one of, my, uh, one of the best close-up magicians that ever lived, named Jerry Camaro. And Jerry Camaro, I can tell stories about Jerry Camaro forever. Jerry Camaro rode with a motorcycle gang called the Huns. Okay. And the Huns were a, were a gang in, I guess, the 60s and 70s. I may get some of these facts wrong. They are out of Connecticut. And they're the ones, <laughs> you, you know, you want a definition of some sort of badass. Sure. Stupid badass. Some sort of definition. They're the ones that stole... A million dollars in arms from the Black Panthers. (laughs) Okay. Then sold them back to them. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of trouble thinking of something stupider than that. Yeah. But he was sergeant of arms at that time. Okay. Jerry Camaro. Uh, That's the kind of tough guy he was. And he was a close up magician, right? And (laughs) that's how he got the arms. (laughs) He just, all the guns. Well, well, that was was the whole thing. He did this perfect bottom deal. You know, a bottom deal is impossible because what you're trying to do with a bottom deal is you want to deal cards off the bottom of the deck that look like they're coming off the top so that the top card that you're controlling can be dealt to you or to anybody you want to. That's what a bottom deal accomplishes. And a bottom deal is impossible because your eye can't see it coming from the bottom instead of the top, but... You can see all the body language, and you can also hear the sound. The sound of a card being dealt, like, you know, sports people say baseball, that outfielders can tell. I don't know why I'm using a sports analogy. I don't understand it. But they can tell where the ball is going from the sound of the bat, the sound of the ball hitting the bat. So the sound of the card coming off. I can tell if someone's doing a false deal or a false shuffle without looking in that direction. You can just hear it. And Jerry's were perfect. Perfect, perfect deals. And he would travel around doing uh, workshops for other magicians, teaching his bottom deal. And I would go and watch him do these things. And I would say to him afterwards, but you don't give them the most important thing about your perfect bottom deal. And he said, what's that? I go, you did 14 years in prison for murder one. (laughs) You cannot do a perfect bottom deal without doing at least 15, 12 maybe years in prison for murder one. You need to sit in a cell with a deck of cards and you need to do that longer than anyone has the willpower to do. So if you want to learn a perfect bottom deal and I know you do. I do. My advice is first kill a motherfucker. Okay. Get caught. Mm-hmm. 20 years from now, you'll have a perfect perfect bottom well, now deal. Now you're going to do
1: that in some bad twist. They're going to take your cards away and then no.
3: you'll gonna... oh, well, also be good at ATM. <laughs> you know, all those <laughs> things. That's a given. The whole thing That's right? a given. Yeah. Already good so at it, guys. Jerry, Jerry Jerry would do this uh, trick. He'd, he worked in a tuxedo, right? Because he, he got out of prison, they let him out of the gang, and he went to do close-up magic. He would work in these classes. That's the most insane story I've ever heard. With a tuxedo, right? And he would be out there doing tricks, <laughs> and he would get like a, a yuppie asshole, this is in the 80s, heckling yeah. him, right? And when he, when he got this asshole heckling him, he would come out and he'd roll up his sleeves and say, watch this. And he would do this ace trick that was stunning and from the moment he started the ace trick uh, the guy would shut up and he would own he would own the whole room you know you know this is close up so 10 yeah. 15 people he would own all of them and the heckler would never heckle him again and he would talk about this ace trick as his absolute heckler stopper so he's coming back he's we're working the same place magic island or something you know one of those places magic castle or something and uh, we're back in the break room and i just watched his set And uh, Jerry says to me, you know, Pan, that ace trick I do, you saw I had that asshole there, stops them dead every time. That ace trick, man, they don't say another word. I said, Jerry, it's not the trick. He goes, what do you mean it's not the trick? It doesn't matter what trick you did there. He goes, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? I said, you roll up your sleeves when you do that. He goes, yeah, that's to show them that there's none of that bullshit with the sleeves or stuff. I said, no, that shows them your jailhouse ink. <laughs> it says on your wrist, fuck the world. And there's Dennis the Menace on a trike, and you have all the colors from the Huns. And even a yuppie idiot knows the difference between mall ink and jailhouse ink. I said, the color isn't consistent. The lines are awful. It's obviously done with, you know, a mixture of, like, shit and newspaper (laughs) with a a needle hooked to a cassette recorder. And you roll your sleeve up, and the guy goes, hey, listen! Oh, Oh, good trick. It's a good trick. (laughs) Never understood that. And Jerry Camaro told me he had been shot four times... And stabbed five or six. You could see I was around him when he would change and he would take off his shirt, and there were bullet holes and like knife wounds into him. And he said to me one of the most chilling things anyone has ever said to me. He said, You know, Penn, if you're ever uh, given a choice between being shot and being stabbed, go with the shot because a knife hurts going in, coming out. And all the time in between. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now, that makes my stomach drop out. He probably said it very matter-of-factly. <laughs> yeah. oh, and I say, as a joke to him, yeah, I, but how often do they give you a choice? And he says, sometimes they do. Uh, <laughs> was he a sociopath? Was Jerry Camaro a sociopath performer? <laughs> I think he was. Yeah. That's that. I mean, sometimes, they, there's the choice. Oh, fuck Sophie. Give up one of your kids in a second. You want to be <laughs> shot? Or you want to be stabbed? Give me a while to think about this. Well, that's a fucked up, because usually when you think about
1: being attacked, it doesn't ever seem really calculated. It's just like, oh, this skirmish happened. But if someone is offering you a choice, there's a whole other level of fucked up is oh, occurring. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah. You, you'll, uh... You'll uh, you'll wake up screaming in the middle of the night thinking about that. There will be there will be a dream when you're at the bowling alley with dad, <laughs> and some guy says, you know, you want to be shot, or you want to be stabbed. You say, give me a minute, give me a minute. <laughs> now now we all know the answer. You
1: know the answer. Yeah, the answer is you want to get yeah, shot. You want to sit right here, just get it clean, just get a clean through. You don't,
3: don't point directly to your heart.
1: No no no. How high here. are you? Heart's here, It's just like in the shoulder, maybe oh, yeah, in the, the sho- like shoulder. Go higher.
3: Yeah, go higher. I don't know. Uh, I don't, I, I, but point to that place. I want. Place to the place in your body where you want to get shot. I don't it's know. Does it, does it go through here? Like it goes all the way. No, through here? those no. are vital organs. Oh, oh no, right. you
2: want to go thigh, thigh. Yeah, you want your thigh shot. Thigh or ass? You want ass shot? You well, think? you need muscle. Yeah, because that's going to heal faster. Okay. And he's
3: known. You know, he's known at the gym is muscle ass. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, that's what they call me. <laughs> he's on the he's on the rowing machine, just like well, it's like either muscle ass cream. or ATM machine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your ATM machine at the right. gym. I want to ask you because we have about ten more minutes okay. with you. I want to ask you about Amazing Meeting because I didn't, I forgot okay. to do it last time because uh, my friend Adam Savage uh, is good guy uh, and, and Paul Provenza, uh, also are very involved with Amazing Meeting, which yeah. happens every year in Vegas. It does. Uh, so just tell, tell me a little bit, of, tell us a little bit about Amazing Meeting. Well,
3: you, we, we, you know, who Amazing Randy is yes, uh, James Randy. I guess you're not really asking me this. You probably know most of it. I like know a lot of running. it. I just want you to tell um, the people. You know, um, Amazing Randy created Penn and Teller. You know, uh, when I was uh, 18, uh, I went and saw uh, James Randi give a lecture. And the idea is that the worst thing you can do is to lie to another person. Uh, and I mean really lie. I don't mean something you believe or a little half-assed to lie. But one of the most powerful things you can do is just say an untruth. And when I was 18, I had been burned very badly by a magician, Kreskin, Um a mentalist who led me to believe that there were there was ESP. And I had completely uh, conflated, I guess you didn't even conflate it. I mean I they were the same to me. Lying to an audience on stage and lying one-on-one to a person. And I was very against that and still am. And Amazing Randy did this show where he talked about lying being okay within the proscenium and not okay outside of it. So once I'm telling you in the Penn and Teller show that I'm going to lie to you, and you know that it's okay. I go a step further and say that I don't want anyone to leave our show with a misunderstanding about the world around them. So we can saw a woman into halves, and then you leave and know we haven't killed her. Mm-hmm. But that also has to be true with mentalism. You can't think that I did a trick with memorization or reading body language that was actually done with a you know slip force. You know, I just I can't do that. That's not right. So I that's that's a hard thing to keep. By the way, that's a hard. Uh, that's a hard level to keep because it's so nice to be able to go, I read your body language on that because it might cover up, you know, the fact you did a shitty move. Um, right. So Randy changed, you know, and that's that's a huge thing about Randy and about Houdini. You know, Elvis Presley doesn't really make a change in the philosophy of what he's doing. If you want to talk about what's great about Elvis, you know, um, great voice, sexy, but more important than that, um, culturally, uh, doing an awful lot, and I mean, I guess this could be argued with, but an awful lot for racial harmony. I mean, he he did make black and white music the same. He did mix those together. Uh, and whether, I mean, someone had to do it whether it happened to be Elvis or he actually did it, that's a big thing. But he didn't change from there to something else. What Houdini did was started out as an escape artist. You know, I defy the jails of the world to hold me. And then changed to there is no afterlife. Right. Pretty pretty heavy. You and know? He, he was disproving people. Yeah, he was, he was busting people. And Randy did that same thing. You know, he went from escape artist to someone who worked with scientists and talked about how, you know, Essentially said, when you're testing paranormal claims, you do need all the scientists there, but you also need a magician, because test tubes don't lie to you. Yeah. And people do, we need to do this. So he set up, uh, over the years, he went from just James Randi and Nut, who would go on Tom Snyder and say, you know, Erie Geller might be doing magic tricks, <laughs> uh, to the James Randi Educational Foundation, which is now thousands of people, and is out of Florida and has a board of directors. Which you know, how many things are you involved with? I have a board of directors. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's pretty rare. Have a board of directors, and um, uh, Randy becomes this kind of figurehead, and uh, they do whatever you want to call it—ghost busting, skepticism, whatever. And then uh, every year, and they do it. They've done one in Australia. They've done one in England. They tried one in Florida, but mostly it's Vegas. You know the. <laughs> the <laughs> the bellwether of skepticism <laughs> <laughs> um and uh this year it's in July uh I know because uh Friday the 13th of July my band is doing the um, the, the Penn's Bacon and Donut Party awesome which is not affiliated in any way with the James Randy Education Foundation I'm going to go to that I keep that separate it sounds like fun. <laughs> because I don't want Randy to have to answer for what I do 'Cause if, if he does, you know, so I pay for everything. I pay for the lights, the sound, the band, the bacons, the donuts, everything. And you're welcome to come in anybody that's at Tam or anybody that's even in Vegas. I invite everybody. The doors are wide open. I had about 1,300 1, people last year. I get a you know, six piece band. We play rock and roll, atheist rock and roll, for an hour and a half. And then I ask people to just give money to Randy. Two, three, four. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying, what they are? Um and uh but the real speakers, you know, they've had, of course, Hitch, Christopher Hitchens, mm-hmm. and Richard Dawkins, and Sam Harris, and all the, you know, the, the, the horsemen of, uh, you know, put Dennett in there, the four horsemen of the uh, the, the Atheist, and uh, I've also gotten Trey and Matt, uh, oh, wow. uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone showed up. And, uh, and lectured, because, uh, you know, the best skeptical show ever done on TV was the John Edward episode oh, so good. of South Park. So good. And uh, Teller and I tried for 20 years to explain cold reading and explain Talking to the Dead and took our best shots at it and did some really, really good stuff and then were completely and utterly creamed by Matt and Trey, who were a thousand times better than us. And now, when people come to us as the experts on cold reading, I go watch the South Park. <laughs> See, here, it's
1: on, your, it's on the internet. They're, You're they're just go just just watch better it. better than us. <laughs> I, always, I remember watching a, a documentary in the early 90s that always stuck with me about James Randi. And and one of the things that he did was, I think he said, and again, I'm sure the internet will tell me if I'm wrong, or you maybe know this, but he said he was making his money when he was younger. He was doing readings for people, mm-hmm. like like tarot card readings. And just as an experiment he started telling people the opposite of what the cards were actually saying, and he said, without fail, people would always find a connection to always, it.
3: Always, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Randy, uh, uh, there's a tri- there's a really cool trick, and this is one thing that's not covered by, um, by uh, South Park, so I'll add a little bit to the cold reading thing. There's two tricks to cold reading that are really phenomenal, and they're both kind of poetic. One is... Any cold reading you do, just say everything and take it back. Works perfectly. do a cold reading on you. Oh. you're very you're very outgoing, mm. but there's a, there's a shy side of you as well. You like to be around people, but you value your alone time. You're in the public eye. There's a big part of you that doesn't want to be. You're just covering every base. Yeah, well, you're just saying you're this. You're you're a tall guy, but you're also because they're going to hear what they connect to. Sure, sure. And then the other thing, and this guys, is,
2: there was something to this. He was correct.
3: <laughs> I see you walking with all the other children, but oh. somehow you're different. <laughs> this is this is exactly me. You have a uh, you have a scar on your left knee. Oh my god, uh, that's that's all, almost always true for everybody. The other one that I love is oh you god. have five people in your family. Because everyone has five people in their family, you just don't define define family. You know, mother, father, uh, two siblings, and you. Right. Or you don't count you, or you count the grandmother that lived right, with you. Don't count me. Oh, that. don't, that's insane. Yeah. If you're an only child, you have five people because you had two grandparents that were close to you. <laughs> if you know, if you get a single, if you got a single mom, there's you know, there's the aunt that helps you out and her best friend. It's always five people. It's that's great. Hilarious. And the other thing is, you just search your heart and say in general terms what you feel about yourself. And the truth is that cold readings are just bad poetry. And they work for the same reason poetry works which is that we share a heart that's very, very similar. You know, there's that great quote from, uh, don't correct me, Plato, I think, who says, um, be kind, everyone's fighting a hard fight.
2: Mm -hmm. thought he was going to say rewind. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I believe it was Plato. <laughs>
3: Be
2: kind,
1: Matt. Yeah. You have scored,
2: my yeah. friend. Thank you. It's
3: good. That was.
1: come in um, But you know, we eat.
3: all have. We all have the same uh, insecurities, the same <laughs> battles, the same everything, and that comes out in cold rainy. So for three or four days. On uh, that weekend in July, starting the, Friday the 13th
2: uh, at uh, the South Coast Plaza. Wow, I can't believe Nerdist is going to pay for me to go out and cover this for the website. <laughs> this they is should. Well, I will, actually. Okay, good. I'll Down. send you to Vegas. Right. To well, cover the them. other thing
3: you can do is you can bang out some shows with incredible guests. Oh, hey. I mean, yeah. let's do that. There's no chance of you having Dawkins. Him into the studio. No, he's not coming to E. <laughs> but you can you can get Dawkins there. That would be pretty know? crazy. I mean, uh, it's uh we we went there uh, when I was doing my radio, you know, and I'm doing a podcast now, so I'll be there. I'm doing a podcast called Penn Sunday School. Yeah, and I'll be doing it from there. Uh then. And you know, I we had, we did the radio show. Godot and I had, you know, Hitchens, Dawkins, and Sam Harris on. Those are three weeks in a row, you know, just hardcore uh Great, great, great interviews. It was wonderful. But yeah. it's really a good time. And it also has that, you know, you just don't get to be around those kinds of like-minded people that often. You know, to have over a thousand people, not one of whom is gonna to talk to you about astrology in a positive way. Unless you're
2: on Reddit. Right.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty uh it's a pretty 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 beautiful situation. And I used to be, you know, we did 10 years of Penn and Teller doing Q&As or doing little shows and shit until everybody there had seen everything that we could possibly do and uh, ask us every question possible, and then I just put together a rock and roll band. <laughs> that was my that was a, solution, You should have you know? just called the Q&A. Yeah. <laughs> it was our Q&A. And, you know, we had uh, we did Viva Las Vegas and had strippers. I mean, I'm... skeptical strippers is pretty cool.
1: That's pretty great. Yeah. They don't because you everything they're doing you can prove because right. and, they, saying, don't, and you know, they don't
3: and they don't and, and the strippers don't say afterwards this is my first day working here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know I I'm I'm not real I'm not a religious person I was raised Catholic um but I also I don't have anything against religious I mean like I have I have friends who are very sure. spiritual and sure. and the only time I ever get crusty is when people get super judgy about like you know when they do the you're wrong, or I'm going to condescend you because you're going to, I mean, other than that, I don't really know what's what. I know what I believe, and I know, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of what you said earlier about, like, you believe what you want, that that makes you happy, it's true to you because you believe that.
3: Yeah, but it depends. You know, it depends. The, the, the difference of opinion there is whether you want to change what you feel to get closer to the truth or whether you want to embrace it and not let it go. Right. And I think that the people that tend to be uh, uh, insulted uh, that they are more judgmental are actually the people who are changing their minds and going closer to truth. I mean, if you are outspoken, people will slap you down. Sure. And that's a really good way to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the ways I went from being kind of a straight liberal to being libertarian was just friends of mine who I would say something, they'd say, shut up, you're wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> You know, and uh, until I started saying stuff, I didn't get I didn't get a chance to be uh, proven wrong. Yeah. And you know, so I, I I I try to be outspoken because boy. That's the quickest way to get information. If you sit comfortable with your beliefs and keep your mouth shut, you will keep those beliefs the rest of your life. That's an interesting point. If you point. speak out about them, people will slap you down. I yeah. do like
1: that point that if you are actually seeking the truth, that you are comfortable with being wrong because ultimately the truth is what you want, not something that just confirm, or at least in your mind, confirms a set of beliefs that you already you know what, have. It's
3: it's, it's it's hard to do, but it's such a great feeling, The, the saying... Oh, I'm wrong. Right? It's just a, it's just this great, great feeling because you get to learn. Yeah, you get to learn, and it's 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 really hard at first. And then you can just get really, really good at it if you are like me, wrong all the time. <laughs> you get good at going. Oh, yeah, that's not how the Nobel Prize math na- happened. Sorry. I mean, in a way, I think I think the
1: the internet is good for that. Is that um, you know there was a generation of people who were totally isolated from the public, and so, like, performers, and so they, you know, they kind of lived in these weird sort of isolated bubbles, and now the internet is sort of the... (laughs) It just keeps you in check. It It just keeps you in check.
3: You know, the the idea, and I would have been wrong about that, you know, the idea of um, crowd intelligence, you know, just simply Wikipedia, Mm -hmm. and all that Wikipedia means, I would have been, and indeed was, um, very skeptical of that working. And you know, every Wikipedia page has a few mistakes. But boy, on the overall thrust, it's pretty right. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who said, you know, they have my birthday wrong, they didn't want my children wrong. They got and I said, but yeah, but everything they want to really know about you, you can get on that Wikipedia page. The uh when we all work together and think together, it is astonishing. How much uh, how much we accomplish, I'm one of the people that thinks that um, there is absolutely nothing but good in the internet. I think there's nothing but good in freedom of speech. I don't put any caveats on it at all. I mean including all the comments and you're stupid you you're a on better it. person than I yeah.
1: because I, I see stuff some online like ah, that guy shouldn't be allowed to express that. <laughs> Why does that guy have a voice? <laughs> that is the worst thing I've ever read. Yeah, but you know, I guess well, I guess that's I, just part of I, the thing that makes the system work.
3: And I, and I like that. I mean, I like the, I like the fact that it's it's all uh, it's all real checks and balances, and not at all top down. Yeah. You know, the idea that it's uh, it really is so purely egalitarian, and I think in a certain way, kind of a meritocracy. You know, yeah. it's amazing the of way. It is. If someone is saying crazy crazy shit, the the system. You know, no rules. But just the people kind of just shut up.
1: That's what I love about Reddit. It is that is a pure meritocracy for that community. Yeah. As, oh yeah, as yeah. You well, see Reddit the, Reddit is the, just the front page is like thing after thing. You're like, yep, that's amazing. Uh, well, yeah, that's fucking great too. Oh my <laughs> god. And they, you know, like everyone, the the cream rises on that. Yeah, uh,
3: there's no doubt about it. It's it's just it's just great how. Uh, and I also love that you can you know you can just you know I actually you know I um. I, I was going to say graduated. That wouldn't be accurate. I get out of high school in '73, so I used to have to, you know, uh, if, if Frank Zappa mentioned, um, you know, if Lou Reed mentioned Delmore Schwartz, or Frank Zappa mentioned Kafka in the penal mm-hmm. Cal- colony, I had to get on my bicycle, or later on get in my car, yeah, drive to the library. And then go through and find this shit. I cannot imagine how wonderful it would have been to just listen to music, hear a reference, type in to find out the lyrics, and then go and say, oh, I'm supposed to read In the Penal Colony by Kafka. Boom, boom, pull it up. Uh, Unbelievable. Because the library – I just kicked you. The library was to me – the most beautiful place in the world. And now I have one with me all the time in my shirt. Box. We're we're basically
1: walking at libraries of Alexandria at exactly, all exactly all of us. And and soon you won't even be typing. You could there's already augmented reality. You could just a song is playing, you hold up your thing, it gives you all the information you I know, need to know, I know. like Shazam. Just it's fucking just crazy. And I still don't know how do you know how Shazam works? Um I I've guessed how it works which is that you know every every song has a specific waveform that is u- as unique as
3: Yeah but it doesn't know when it's stopping and starting that's what drives me crazy Uh I guess it just it,
1: it just takes a sample Yeah I guess so and then just quickly matches that that waveform yeah, yeah, I'm sure I could easily find out how it works, but I'm going to speculate because that's what we with do. This.
3: Exactly. No, but now the Google glasses. What about the Google glasses? i you know,
1: the the Google glasses are fascinating to me, but the only thing that I can't get around is. Does that mean you're constantly going to have to like up and down and left? You're going to everyone's going to have fucked up necks from navigating oh, with their be with their heads.
3: Necks. <laughs> be like the people that milk cows. That'll be a new
1: euphemism. Like I, I got a Google neck your fucking gonna... Google Next coming in here and looking at the internet with their goddamn glasses. Get out of here, you fucking Google Next. It's gonna be. We'll figure out a way to be racist against it somehow. <laughs> Google Next. Google yeah, Next. I
3: just think it's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be great. Well, we're at the end of our okay. uh, hour with you. Do you have anything you want to promote? Yes, I'm starting a new podcast. Sunday School. Sunday School. Penn Sunday School, and you can go to pensundayschool.com. It's also on iTunes and everywhere else, yeah. but it's Penn Sunday School. It's every Sunday. We do it live with about a 1,000 people. I was going to leave it at 666 for the number of people <laughs> in the congregation, but we have actually many more than that. We have like 2,700 or something that are there live so that we can read what they're saying and all the chat oh, wow. and all of that, and then it goes up. That's Sunday at noon, Vegas time, mm-hmm. and then it goes up at about... 5 o'clock p.m. Sunday as a podcast on iTunes and everything. And the great thing, and this has made me so happy, is you can go to PennSundaySchool.com or PennSundaySchool.com because I didn't know how I was going to tell people how many S's to put between Penn and Unday. So you can take your One pick. One or two S's between pen <laughs> and Sunday. It's up to you. And we try to keep it, you know... Uh, it's a very, uh, very focused um, podcast. We try to talk about um, monkeys, God, and the Supreme Court. Okay. We try to keep <laughs> it with those three. three things. Because that's... <laughs> They're all the same thing. When, 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 when it all comes down, those are the three things I care about most. Yeah. Monkeys, God, and the Supreme Court.
1: And they weirdly all tie together. And they certainly
3: do, in my heart. Yeah. And what have we learned? If you have a choice between being stabbed and shot. being shot... You want to be shot. ...and shot... And it's ATM, not ATM machine. Sociopaths
1: make the best performers. And the best sex partners. (laughs) And I have a muscular ass. Yeah. Yep.
3: (laughs) Those are all the things we learned today.
1: I love that. It's nice when we can actually learn stuff on the podcast. (laughs) We all all walk away from here feeling much in the same way you did at a a little show in the late 1980s when you saw Dean Martin perform.
3: Dean Martin is so good.
1: Now I want to go back and watch every performance and study him.
3: You're, you're going to go crazy. You're going to love it. You're going to just love it. You'll come back
1: on again at some point, right? Why wouldn't I? I, I love like having you on. Like, we'll have like him on the the in
2: July when we're in Vegas.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll come to amazing meeting, or if, I, if I'm working, I'll send Matt. Like some, One of us will be there, or sure. all of us will be there. Yeah, that'll be that'll it'll be good. will be good, good, good. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Good to see okay, you. Okay,
3: thank you. Good to see you.
1: Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now
0: leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
1: This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. Go to the podcast page at Nerdist.com. Just click through the Amazon banner and shop as you normally do to support the Nerdist Podcast.
4: Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them.